Hello, listeners. Many experts in this space say that provider credentialing could be one of the first proven blockchain use cases in healthcare. That prediction seems to align with the number of startups working on this exact problem. I've already interviewed three companies trying to do this, and today will be my fourth. In this episode, I interviewed Charlie Lougheed, founder and CEO of Actual. Actual recently received $3 million in seed investment funding to design, develop, and test their identity proofing and provider credentialing platform. I enjoyed speaking with Charlie, and I hope you all enjoy this episode. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now let's start the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? blockchain. What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest is Charlie Lougheed, a technology entrepreneur and currently CEO of Axial, which he founded last year, 2018. Uh, and Axial is a startup working to improve identity proofing and credentialing in multiple industries, with their first market being in the healthcare provider credentialing space. Charlie, thanks for joining me today. Hey, good to be here, Ray. So, Charlie, I was thinking we can get started with a little bit of a background on you know, your career so far and how you've approached the current endeavor you're doing, you're working on now. Yeah. uh, So I guess it goes back a a number of years. I've been an entrepreneur for pretty much my entire professional life and then maybe even a little before that. So I started when I was 15. I'm the youngest of four. So um, I got a chance to see my older siblings in business and I come from a kind of a long line of entrepreneurs, so it kind of came natural. So started my first software company again when I was about 15. It, it morphed into uh, so- software and services as well and ran that through college. And, uh, and since then, I've done four other startups, uh, two sold to public companies, one back in 2005 called Everstream, which sold to a public firm in Atlanta. And then probably the one that most people know me for is uh, a, a startup by the name of uh, Explorus that sold to IBM in 2015. Explorus was the big data component of Watson Health, actually still is. And so uh, that was a fun and exciting ride. And in healthcare. So uh, I, I've been in healthcare since about 2009. So it's been a, it's been a fun journey. Are you involved with Explorus at all anymore? Or is that... Completely no. gone to IBM. Yeah, I, very cool. I exited IBM in 2017 and actually did uh, another nonprofit startup in between. It's going great called Unify Labs, and uh, and in 2018 started looking at other opportunities to do another commercial startup and saw some problems. In interestingly enough, a lot of my last startups were in big data. This is this is sort of little data. Hmm. It's a different way of looking at things. And but but definitely saw some need in the industry and 
interestingly enough, saw something that blockchain could legitimately address. So uh, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun ever since. Perfect. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned blockchain. I'm just curious, when did you first hear about blockchain technology? Wow, probably like maybe three years ago. Uh, about two years ago, we had an initiative that started up in Cleveland called Blockland. In fact, there's a conference this weekend. Uh, this is the second conference. Last conference was sold out. Blockland really focuses on more than just blockchain and other types of technologies. But uh, that was the first time. And in, in a place like Cleveland, Ohio, in the Midwest, one of those things where I think we always sort of operate with this chip on our shoulder. How do we figure out how to compete with the coasts? And uh, and, and we got a, a group of civic leaders, uh, of business leaders, folks from healthcare and banking and, and some technology together to sort of talk about ways that this blockchain um, wave could be something we could be we could participate in as a community and that sort of evolved to me being uh, pulled in and asked to advise for the group and, and engage with some of the business leaders to understand is there an opportunity here for uh, large corporations and large healthcare entities and others and you know we learned a lot from that I think I think we all know and we've seen the criticisms that blockchain to some degree is a is a uh, solution looking for a problem. But the thing that we just kept seeing over and over again was the need for verifying truth and verifying proof. And that seemed to be the silver bullet. Uh, it wasn't as sexy as cryptocurrency. Uh, Midwest is not sexy. We don't go after sexy stuff usually. And so it just seemed to be a good fit for us. And that's where we started looking into. And that sort of evolved into... Uh, Hey, we, we could we could probably form a business around this, and and one thing led to another, and, and we got actual started. Interesting. So, tell me how you came up with the the company idea. So, I understand you've been going through, I guess, an investigative role, looking at the technology, looking at problems to be solved, and you have you've identified that identity proofing seems to be what you're going to target. So, just walk me through how you started Axial. Like, who are your co-founders and, and any other kind of details like that? Yeah, so uh, I think it really got started during that process of, of even before we, we, we came up with a company name, just really understanding where are there gaps in the industry today that within business that are fairly painful. And again, one of the areas we found, particularly in healthcare, was that there is an enormous amount of time and energy and expense with verifying the credentials of practitioners. There's eight and a half million healthcare workers in the U.S. and arguably they all need some level of credentialing. Now, physicians have it the worst. On average, uh, a physician may have 20 to 35 different things that need to be verified by primary source, meaning uh, a medical school or a state license bureau or whatever it might be. And that is a process today that on average takes around 90 to 120 days to complete. And so like with every business that we've looked at in the past, we've always asked ourselves, okay, where is the billion dollar problem? If there isn't a billion dollar problem across the industry, it's probably not worth chasing because mm. it's going to be really small. Well, we started to calibrate this thing and we were sort of blown away how big of a problem it was. Uh, yeah, there's the cost side of credentialing, right? There's there's the expense side. We call it kind of the below the line operational expense, which isn't anything 
to to scoff at. It's 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 significant. It's four digits per provider per year. So it's around probably twelve hundred to thirteen hundred a year to manage a, a a clinician's or practitioner's record set. But the bigger opportunity, and we saw this everywhere in healthcare, Ray, was uh, you have this perfect storm brewing. You have a demand for healthcare services continue to rise, in part due to the fact that you have an aging population, also a population across all age groups that demand healthcare at more venues than have been traditionally delivered in the past. It's kind of like online, it's like financial services. Back 30 years ago, we used to call it telebanking. Now we call it telehealth in some degree. Uh, it's just funny how they use these terms. But the reality is, is that people want to be able to get these types of services for more than just their doctor's office or a hospital room or an emergency room or whatever that might be. That's, so that's why you're seeing the proliferation of things like telehealth and home health care and creative models that actually deliver healthcare at the workplace. And so, um, and you know, we've also got what's combining with that is a, is a culture in large part around freelancing, uh, whether it's locum tenum or, 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 you know, the uberization of healthcare, you have all these things that are coming together uh, that, and, and when you talk to a healthcare C, CEO or CFO, they will tell you that their mandate in large part is to grow by significant amounts, in some case, double digits. And the only way you can do that is by clearing the hurdles associated with human capital. And when it takes 90 to 120 days to credential someone and your average physician can bill for around $7,500 a day, that is a massive amount of money that is left on the table. And even worse so, you have patients and consumers who can't get the care that they need because the physicians just aren't available. And it's just a problem that's going to keep getting worse. You know, so we just looked at this and said, all right, uh, why the heck is this happening? It seems like an easy problem to solve, but I got that in air quotes. It's not. And we need, we wanted to get down to the bottom of it and it boiled down to verifying facts. And that's where blockchain came in. So I understand that you know, long-term thinking, you guys, uh, actually, your team is looking to expand it to other markets as well. I'm curious why you selected the provider credentialing market first. Is it because it takes so long, 90 to 100 days? Is it just the biggest problem versus, you know, an electrical contractor or someone to help with plumbing? Like, what's the, the reason for that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We've talked about this a lot. And one of my co-founders, Lucky Tavag, uh, you know, he came from blockchain and he came from a space which is probably equally difficult to uh, penetrate, which was online voting, right? And using blockchain for that. So that, that was, that was not an easy uh, sled either. But, uh, and I, you know, there are a lot of things about healthcare that it, it is a tough space. It's a tough, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough sector to serve. Uh, it's highly regulated. Uh, it does not move particularly fast. Uh, I will argue that data in healthcare, you've got to really take it seriously because it, it does boil down to life or death or or certainly quality of life and quality of health. And uh, so there's a lot at stake. Uh, but I call it my New York. If you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. You know, we really do see uh, an opportunity to uh, expand into other industries. Uh, financial services, arguably, KYC or know your customer is a $20 billion a year problem for the financial services industry. Granted, it's a little bit of a different switch from how uh, where you're credentialing an employee or, or, or a clinician versus a client. Uh, but the, there are a lot of similarities. 
there is credentialing in everything from energy to transportation to legal, et cetera. So I see it all over the place. And, uh, you know, we've all probably, many of us have either been in the hiring process on one side of the fence or another, right? And we all know that there's what's on your resume and there's what's really on your resume. And if you're a regulated industry, you can't just take their word for it. You have to verify every single piece of that. And, and you know, we just see that as a broadening problem and something that needs to be solved. And, you know, healthcare, we had experience with my last company. We, we served about 60 million patients across about 400 hospitals all across the U.S. So we had uh, a lot of experience in working with the C-suite. And, uh, you know, every time we talked to the folks who were in the C-suite, the CFOs and CEOs and and chief medical officers, they would pretty much say, yeah, we have a major problem brewing here. We didn't used to take it as seriously as we do now. We recognize that human capital is really important. We've got to speed this process up. And I, I haven't met a clinician yet who, who you know, you, you, get, you get 10 words into describing, you know, digital credentials. They only have to do it once or it's instantly available. And it's kind of like that Jerry Maguire, you had me at hello yeah. and they're ready to go, right? And so uh, at that point, it, it boils down to, it, executing and you know there's plenty of players in the space but it it just like anything else it's it's about executing totally um and you know thinking about the different stakeholders that could use your product or your platform eventually uh, providers obviously and then you have institutions and health systems you know health systems being the organizations that are hiring these providers which of these stakeholders would find the most value from your platform you know i i I think or how do you it, incentivize yeah, their interest in using the platform in the first place? That's a great question. I, you know, I, the, the three stakeholders I think are the most important, right, uh, is number one, you have the credential holder. That is your typical employee, practitioner, whoever it might be. You know, if you think about it, there is nothing more important in your professional life than your CV or your resume. And today, that CV and resume it actually stands in the way of you taking on a new role or a new career or whatever that might be. People have invested a lot of time and energy into this. And I think that's why I get this pretty emotional re response about, yeah, I, the credentialing process today is fraught with challenges. I'm concerned about what my data is. I'm concerned about my privacy and who sees what information when. So there is this, uh, you know, to some degree financial uh, interest from them in that, they'll be able to work different types of jobs and expand their career. But there's also a feeling of safety of being able to say, well, privacy in the digital age is a big concern. I want more control. I want digital sovereignty over my CV. And I haven't had that before. And this is intriguing technology. And so that's why I'm open to it and uh, excited about it. The second stakeholder are the issuers, right? And so these are entities that are the, typically the only ones or, or a, a, of a few that are called primary source equivalents that can actually uh, answer these questions and attest to the validity of something, whether it's a medical license or uh, a period where you worked at a, at, a, at a health system or a residency or whatever it might be, right? Uh, it is, they are the verifiers of, of these assertions. And many of them today don't get compensated some do. And so one of the things we recognize that's incredibly important is that everybody always talks about blockchain being revolutionary and it drives me crazy because it doesn't need to be revolutionary. It can be evolutionary. And we've recognized that there already is a bit of an economy, albeit a bit dysfunctional, 
in place where issuers are paid for the verification of proof. In many ways, we say, okay, well, those exi- those relationships already exist. That's fine. We'll be we'll be their visa network, so to speak. They'll be the merchants of the of the proof, and we will clear those networks, clear those transactions. Can you clarify what the marketplace is? Who are the buyers and sellers exactly? So the issuers, yeah. have done the work already. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So who is who's buying from them exactly? The health systems. Health systems. So typically, if you have to do a if you have to do a primary source verification, you may charge you may get charged a fee to go query a database, whether that's a state or federal database for certain information. You may go to an aggregator like AMA or FSMB for that information. They charge a service, and for good reason. Uh, number one, these organizations they add value. Number two, they've got costs associated with this. Now, some of these entities they don't charge for. But unfortunately, take a medical school, for instance, they get asked the same question over and over and over again. And that's, did this physician graduate uh, from your medical school? Well, getting asked that question over and over again just costs them money, right? And short of building a time machine and going back in time, you're really not going to change that, right? It's a permanent proof. So, you know, we look at those things and say we can eliminate a lot of that unnecessary cost, particularly in education. And it's in the areas of training, uh, which I think is a good thing. We all know that that's too expensive as it is today. We need to figure out how to drive down those costs. But even more so, for those entities, anytime they're referenced and uh, uh, is being being the author of that proof, we have a mechanism that can ensure that they get rightfully compensated for that. And so that's why I sort of use the analogy, the visa network of proof, creating that way, that methodology and that technology to clear that transaction much faster, more accurately, with with more visibility and auditability than you've ever had before. And so from a credential issuer standpoint, you know, that's a that's a fairly important thing. And then lastly, the subscriber, we talked about that. That is typically the health system or the payer. It's 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 the employer uh, in many cases. It's that entity that is is federally or state or regulatory from a regulatory perspective. They are obligated and required to verify these proofs. It's expensive today, and most important, uh, it 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 just takes too darn long, and time is money. So you mentioned the providers would be able to own their own data. Can you tell me a little bit more about how your data custody management system? how you envision it to work? Yeah. Um, well, first off, you know, one of the things I think is really important here is the concept of, of data sovereignty and a sovereignty over your own data as a credential holder. And this is something that, uh, you know, isn't just me saying this. This is in large part society saying this because of the abuses that have occurred over the past decade or so. And the good news is that uh, there is technology to begin to protect and prevent this from happening. You're seeing a lot of legislation, uh, GDPR in, uh, in the European Union, uh, as well as what California is doing around their, their laws, the uh, CCPA. Uh, so, it, it, and, and we really are seeing that uh, go well beyond the consumer to the employee right? Because employee rights matter a lot. Uh, in a digital world, you don't ever want to have someone wrongfully become blacklisted where they can't work in places. I mean, that concept is very real and it could, ha- it could happen. And this is why digital sovereignty and control of your data 
is so absolutely important. And so it's why when we chose our technology and we designed our frameworks, we built it where in a way that the credential holder has complete control over what goes into their credential wallet when it's issued from an issuer and who they present that to. And uh, so, you know, we think that's incredibly important. So in terms of the data stewardship, or in, and for that matter, who owns the data, it is the credential holder. We all just happen to be temporary custodians of that. I was looking into Axial and I realized, or I noticed that you're a sovereign steward. So yeah. I was wondering if you can kind of tell me more about that partnership you, you have with Sovereign and what they're working on. Yeah, well, you know, Sovereign is an organization that is really made up of a lot of different uh, companies and leaders in the space, particularly around Hyperledger and the Indie, Indie framework, uh, which is a form of, of, of blockchain specifically for digital identity and credentialing. And there's some pretty big players that are in that. Uh, it's always a little humbling, right? You, you know, you got our logos next to like IBM and, and Cisco and others. Uh, but, you know, it is a, it is a, a consortium, if you will, mm -hmm. of like-minded entities that see that digital protection of privacy uh, and, uh, and identity is incredibly important and will become more and more important over time. And so that was probably the thing that, uh, that excited us about it the most. Uh, I think the other component of it is, is obviously being a part of this, this network uh, it is a public permission blockchain. It does give us uh, infrastructure that we can we can leverage uh, at scale. Uh, and obviously, as a smaller company, you you use a lot less capital when you can leverage things that are out there. And they were just kind of a perfect fit uh, as compared to some other frameworks that you know really weren't as good of a fit for us for a number of different reasons. So, you know, we saw them as not only a good strategic partner who shared a lot of our values, but also tactically uh, a, a, a nice way, a nice springboard to get moving pretty darn fast as it relates to the technology model. You know, I often think a lot about privacy of identity in the world, you know, in general, I look at China and consider the people, the citizens there in China have not a sovereign identity, but a government controlled identity that's like managed by the government and their social actions that they take are recorded with the government's database, let's say. Um, and a lot of that, you know, all of it is tracked. Obviously, that makes the citizen feel like they are not self-sovereign. What is the future of identity verification? Like, what does that look like to you? I think it's going to be a mix of things, and it probably has to be some of a hybrid, right? Uh, I don't think, at least from my perspective, uh, it's fair to say that people, well, it's going to be practical for people to live a completely uh, anonymous life. That's pretty hard to do. Uh, I respect those that want to do that, but it, with that comes a lot of sacrifice because the entities that need to be able to serve them, depending on the industry and how it's regulated, whether it's China or somewhere else, uh, they need to be able to have that information, right? They need to have, still have to be some controls. Even though I talk about digital sovereignty in, in healthcare credentialing, there are certain rights that the healthcare system has to have in order to maintain and, and hold on to some of that information for a certain period of time for audit purposes or other legal types of purposes. So I think, you know, we live in a society where uh, it's, it's pretty hard to be a purist, and I, I'm not sure we'll ever be able to have that. But I think um, as, as technology improves, I think you will have 
different scenarios where you'll be able to say, okay, in these kinds of situations, I'm, I'm going to operate fairly anonymously. In these other situations, certain information about me can be available, but not everything, right? The whole the concept of uh, zero knowledge proof. You don't need to know everything about me. You only need to know these things. Right. Uh, and, and I think, I think, you know, we're going to have to operate in a hybrid model. Uh, I think part of the challenges with introducing blockchain into business is that you have so many purists and zealots on one side that are saying, oh, no, this, 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 this technology has to work in, in exactly this way. This way. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is if you talk to a, a CIO in healthcare, they're like, I, I can't implement that. Uh, it's, you know, it's against our bylaws or for that matter, it might even be against the law. So I, I need to I need to have something in between. So I think compromise is going to be important, but good technology should allow us compromise. That makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. And often I think about like a simple example, like proving that you're 21 at a bar, right? Yeah. Uh, not, not the bartender doesn't necessarily have to see your address and your date of birth and everything. They just need to know that you're older than 21, right? Yeah. So I consider an application like that could make sense. Um, but you know, I haven't met anybody that's working on that one specifically yet. So <laughs> we'll see. I mean, at some point it is kind of funny, huh? Why not just, if you have your phone with you, why not just use that ID? But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to see. And there's, you know, there's just, I think part of the success in this space, if you have a company in blockchain, just to describe it, you have to go back, you have to find those analogs with how we've done it for a long time. Right. And I think when you do that and explain that, it starts to click for people. But again, I think, uh, you know, it's it, just like any other technology. It, it, it's always fun to hear about something that's new. It better move the needle uh, economically or else, uh, you know, adoption is going to be a pretty tough, tough sled. For sure. And specifically with blockchain, it's kind of interwoven with everything, economics, yeah. you know, social considerations. Um, what are the main challenges and opportunities of using a blockchain network? Well, I guess I'll start with the challenges, and I, I alluded to some of them before. Uh, there is, there has been so much hype, yeah. and uh, with that hype has come disillusionment to some degree. We're in that, I guess, it's Gartner that calls it the trough of disillusionment. You know, the way up, everyone gets excited, and you go way down. Wait a second, what's going on? And then, and then some real stuff starts to happen. And, uh, and you know, certainly this is this technology is not immune to it. Um, I think people got to stop talking about blockchains just like the internet. It's different than the internet. Uh, blockchain is probably more akin to FTP than the internet. Uh, uh, you know, so it isn't necessarily uh, the, the, the elixir for everything. Uh, I think, as I mentioned before, you have a lot of loud voices in technology where and I hear people say, if you're not using cryptocurrency, it's not blockchain. There's no reason for it. We don't think there's a need for cryptocurrency. It doesn't mean we don't think cryptocurrencies, we think it's bad. We just don't see a need for it. And it's something that, frankly, for your average, your average uh, corporate CIO, the word cryptocurrency scares them away. So I think, you know, the challenges in this is just having to having to try to put things in perspective and just stay out, stay as much in the middle of the argument as possible and not go to the extremes. Uh, I mean, sometimes blockchain discussions feel like, uh, like the political dialogue in the US right now, it's just extremes. And so uh, trying to stay away from that, I think is sometimes important. You know, the advantages, uh, 
uh, you know, people say, well, why blockchain? Sometimes I'll just say, well, why not? And explain to me why not. And uh, sometimes people are dumbfounded by that one because they just love asking that question. But, uh, you know, there's some really good reasons for using blockchain, technically speaking. Um, probably the biggest one is that, especially technologies like indie, you have the opportunity to digitally sign and track the, the credential uh, and the authenticity of that credential using uh, and framework of that credential using the blockchain, but store nothing as it relates to the subject on that blockchain. That all gets stored in a wallet. So in many ways, it is this, it is this really apt uh, identification network for the issuer to know that that issuer is indeed who they say they are to prove that authenticity. And, that, and that's, that's really key. Uh, the, in addition to that, you have, uh, a high degree of encryption. You have a high degree of privacy protection. You have the digital sovereignty components that I talked about before. So these things come together to serve some, uh, very important needs. That said, even with actual, uh, I would argue that blockchain's a relatively small in comparison to the other technologies that we use component of our overall solution, right? There are other things like rules engines and traditional databases and, and other APIs, interfaces uh, that we've had to build that have nothing to do with blockchain. Uh, it's, it's just about using it in a, in a smart way, I think. But I, I really couldn't pick a better technology, especially if you look at the ability to have uh, auditability and transparency for those entities that need to audit things. And you see a lot of that in regulated industries. Where third other third parties, whether they're government entities or their standards bodies, have to come in and verify that you're actually doing things the right way, whether that's uh, NCQA or Joint Commission or whoever, uh, the technology lends itself very nicely to that because most credentialing today operates inside of silos, and we all know that's where that's gotten us. I agree. I think the accountability of blockchain is a huge characteristic or a great attribute of blockchain or you know should we be calling this distributed ledger technology as you mentioned some people consider any blockchain should have its own cryptocurrency so if we're not using a cryptocurrency would it be more appropriate to call it decentralized ledger technology i know this is just semantics but i'm just wondering what you're what you've heard on the street yeah i i think it depends on the implementation of it right um so it depends on your app and what you're trying to achieve. But probably, yeah, I mean, even even Indie is a little different than your typical distributed ledger because there's only a it's only a limited amount of, amount that goes on that ledger. It's mm -hmm. the part about the the issuer, not about anybody else. Uh, and so, but it it's you know I think it's appropriate. It's an awfully technical term. Again, what I what I get to and people say, well, what is this like? And I say, it's 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 a lot like a resume. But imagine everything on that resume, every every statement on that resume has been verified by the entity who you would most trust to verify that, right? Whether that's a the school you graduated from or the boss you work for, and it, they've got their digital signature on that, so you know that that's that's right. And time right? stamped. And time stamped, right? And so you know if I have if it's something that could be revoked or expired, I can now go back and query that network again to get that information. Right. Someone so, couldn't just go in and create a CV on their own one day um, because all those items would have to be timestamped or all those specific claims would have to be verified um, before they can submit it or give it to right. the potential right. employer. 
Yeah. So, you know, th those are the kinds of things that are really important uh, in this space. And it was, it was what was missing. Right. And so I think this is a really interesting time. But again, when, when you know, and part of things that we do, whether it's whether it's on the IP front or, or it's just in how we describe our solution, even to our engineering team as they build this thing, we want to think abstractly. Right. Because today it's a credential about a person's professional background and, and experience. Tomorrow, it could be a credential about an ingredient in a product. It could be a credential about a workflow that occurred. Um, it could be a credential about the provenance of a piece of art. It could be a, it, it, credentials are just basically verified proofs. And so we try to think of it that way. And, and that, that for us gives us a broad base of applicability. And, you know, when we, we finished our first seed round of financing this year, it was important, obviously, to our investors that they see uh, they see that this technology is extensible to other other markets, but we're going to have our hands full with healthcare. Don't get me wrong, and we and, and we, sure. we think there's a tremendous opportunity in healthcare. That's right. You uh, you guys raised about three million dollars, I think, in September. Yeah. What's your plan yeah. for that budget for that money? Uh, so we are 2020 is a big year for us, right? So we we spent a good amount of time in early 2000. Uh, 19 developing our pro designing our product and then the real development started happening around uh, April or May of this this, this year. Uh, since then, we've also spent a lot of time pressure testing this. Right, I I, I go on this walk national walkabout, so to speak, with uh, with healthcare systems that I've worked with in the past. Uh, a, a lot of the times, it's it's engaging the C-suite to ask them about the top five things, for instance, that's, that's keeping them up at night. And again, uh, pretty consistently, while the word credentialing is in the first thing out of their mouth, they talk about how are we going to have enough people to be able to generate the kind of, provide the kind of services that we need to, uh, to meet demand and, uh, and growth. And it boils down to uh, human capital, right? How do we be more efficient with it? And so therefore people, st we start talking about credentialing. Um, and so, a lot of this year has been about validating that and figuring that out and getting that right. We've spent a lot of time this year as well. Uh, there are 50 different states, obviously, that have different variations of rules and regulations around credentialing and the protection of data for the issuers, the holders, and even the subscribers. And uh, understanding that and engaging uh, law firms that specialize in this kinds of things are things that we do beyond just software development, right? Uh, but are incredibly important, right? Because this you got to do your homework in this. Um, and we've spent a lot of time on that. Uh, we have also spent a good amount of time getting our product to MVP. We did that in November of this year. Uh, started our first uh, our first pilot with a uh, locum tenum, next generation locum tenum uh, group called Higher Medical. Uh, they've got, uh, they've got about 90 or so physicians across the network. And we've, we started with a relatively small group just to test this thing out. Just like with any new uh, solution, you, you learn a lot of things in the very beginning, how, how physicians are using it. We've got two large health systems that we, uh, will be announcing soon, uh, that, uh, we've, uh, we've signed agreements with that we'll be doing pilots with in 2020. Uh, our goal is to get it right. Uh, you know, the $3 million that we raised will get us well through a good part of next year. Uh, we'll be ready to raise money, uh, but that uh, in, in, in towards the end of next year. 
But the most important thing is that we prove these assumptions, right? We got we to gotta prove. Uh, we're digital proof. We got to prove ourselves. Sure. And so uh, that's going to be absolutely key. And so these larger scale pilots with hundreds of physicians is going gonna, is gonna to teach us a lot. It's going to teach us about the experience, the flow. You know, we always talk about credentialing as being sort of the longest pole in this circus tent, if you will, uh, for getting a physician billable. But there were other things as well. There's privileging, there's payer enrollment. So this is going to be an interesting, as, as, as that, that technology enables a lot of excuses to go away, uh, there's still other things that, that, that have to change inside these organizations as this gets implemented. So part of our pilot is really learning that with some, with some great partners. And it's what we've done with past companies, right? We've, before we went full bore out into the industry with our solutions, we really tested it. Uh, we proved our metal in real life scenarios to, to make sure it works. And then, you know, at, at that point, again, we've always scaled very fast. So how you scale so fast is because we, we got all the bugs out or at least the majority of them. So that, that's going to really be our focus uh, in going into next year. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's one thing to do a pilot test with a, you know, like a smaller company, like higher medical um, versus a large health system with traditional, kind of processes and ways that they do things already. So it's a little bit harder to change their current procedures. So um, best of luck on those pilots. I'm definitely going to be following them. Do you care to mention any other partners or possible clients in the future that you can share here? Uh, Not yet. We're having, we're having some interesting discussions. We're probably not the point where we're, I'd want to, catch them off guard right now. Sure. Uh, but, you know, I, I, you know I, I would tell you that, again, I think like most organizations, we're not alone in this. Uh, the, the three stakeholders I just described are really important. And in developing relationships with them, I think is going to be key. Um, this is going to be such a big space. It's, you know, people always ask me about our competitors. And frankly, it's a big enough space that uh, I don't, I think we need to, all of us need to focus on edu- on on educating the market and executing right now, and there's enough there's enough opportunity to go around uh, by far, uh, and and so you know I think that's that's gonna I think gonna be really important in 2020. I think I've you know paid attention to some of these other initiatives that are going on. It's it tends to, what we a lot of times what we see in the market is we see folks that are that are almost H, enterprise uh, enterprise HR. So the work days of the world, it's great to see Workday announce that uh, the support for the W3C standard. Uh, we think we also have adopted that, uh, and that's the standard for, uh, for digital credentials and wallets. So there's interoperability, uh, kind of think of it as a PDF of, of credentialing. Uh, so we think that that's going to be really important. And then you've got you know, the niche players that, again, we don't see ourselves competing directly with, the MD staffs and others. They, they provide the workflow within these systems, but understanding that ecosystem, I think is gonna be incredibly important. We're not trying to replace CVOs, we're trying to make their life life better. So I think part of, part of any time a new technology gets introduced into a market, people have to figure out who's who in the zoo, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think uh, 2020 is gonna be a lot about that. So it'll, it'll be an interesting process. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. 
The Kadana Network and Rymedi have announced that they will be launching an application to track the supply chain of CBD oil. This will be the first application on Kadana's public blockchain. The launch is expected on January 15, 2020, and is only the beginning, according to Kadana's CEO, who said, We have much greater visions that include putting together a much larger healthcare data marketplace. They hope to accomplish their goal via a partnership with North Carolina-based Rymedi, a healthcare data services company. The companies could provide clients with an immutable and auditable record-keeping platform that could accelerate the drug approval process with the FDA. Consumers will be able to scan QR codes on products and look up production records. A similar platform for prescription drugs could be developed in the future. This validates purchasing and authenticity, especially useful in geographies and industries where fraud and quality concerns remain potentially life-threatening issues, Kadana said in a statement. Kadana claims to have one of the most scalable proof-of-work platforms for facilitating cross-chain transactions. And now back to my interview with Charlie Lohid, CEO of Actual. What is your business model? Meaning, how are you going to generate enough revenue to pay your employees? And grow. Uh, that's always a great question. Uh, no, uh, yeah, you know, be, to be honest, it's probably the hardest question you you answer over time. Pricing is probably the thing I've never really got perfectly right. I don't think any of us do um, in in how you structure it. But the way we see this, uh, in, in what we hear the market asking for, is is, is a subscription based model, where just like they do today, the the entities that are responsible for verifying these proofs. Uh, uh, Pay pay the pay the freight basically pay the bill for it, and uh, those would be the healthcare systems, the payers, uh, really the employers uh, across the board. If you go outside of healthcare, uh, financial services obviously for the, some of the the, uh, the know your customer components. So uh, that's who we see as as the component. But I think we'll it, it's going to take some time, right? There's subscription models, there's pay as you go models, there's pure transactional models. Uh, I think we all have a long way to a lot to learn in the space. But again, I think, uh, uh, you know, given how big the opportunity is and how big the need is and how uh, those companies that can execute uh, the amount of uh, top line revenue that they can help drive for an organization, I think is going to be should be certainly enough to sustain a a healthy uh, business in this space. Can you describe your technology stack? Meaning, you know, which blockchain protocol are you using? What's your front end, yeah. back end development like look like? Well, I don't want to get too much into this because some of it is proprietary. But as I mentioned, Indy is the component which is non-proprietary, and, and for that reason, right? Um, we 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 use them. We use Indy and the Sovereign Network as as our uh, as our blockchain, uh, and in, in essence, that technology that is used to verify the authenticity of the of the issuer uh listen uh, you know uh, it's not the only way to do it there's a lot of other great ways to do it and uh you know we also recognize that over time blockchain is going to change and shift so you know everything we do is extensible so that we can mix and match and swap out where we need to but you know we're pretty happy with that component the other components are you know uh technologies that that frankly are pretty commonplace today uh, from a front end, back end, uh, standard databases and whatnot. We're not doing anything 
Uh, we're not having to do any kind of heavy duty analytics. Uh, there will be some AI uh, which we'll develop, but uh, again, our our uh, you know our our stack is fairly straightforward with 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 regards to that. You mentioned IP earlier during the conversation. Do you have any patents currently, or does the company have any? Yeah, we're you know we're we're uh, we're, we're thoughtfully pursuing patents, uh, both 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 on provisional and non-provisional basis, and uh, we think that there is. There is a significant amount of uh, IP that will be developed by us and others in this space. So uh, we, we believe that investment is, is important to make. Um, you know, you, it's one of those things in balance. You, 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 can't, get, you can't get overwhelmed with that. Uh, you know, we focus on IP as being something that is an enabler. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not trying to be uh, an IP organization that goes out and, and, and looks, for, looks for trouble. We'd rather look for opportunity, and uh, but you know some of the things that we are doing we think are 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 noteworthy and novel and you know uh, worth worth protecting. But again, uh, the execution on that uh, IP is going to be the most important thing. You know, we talked about how some states have different regulations regarding credentialing for providers, uh, and part of your due diligence now is to kind of understand how these different states operate so that you can get the legal recommendations so your product or platform uh, complies with those regulations. And a lot of times I think about telehealth and the ability to do a video chat with a patient and now provider a provider in Ohio can actually see a patient who's in California as long as that provider is also credentialed in California. That being said, it might be a little bit harder to be credentialed in California I'm just assuming here, maybe you can tell me more, but um, how do you think Axial can improve telehealth adoption? Well, I think vastly, right? Uh, because again, the, the biggest barrier uh, in telehealth today is, it's just like you said, Ray, it's, it's, it's getting authorized to, to practice medicine in the states that you'll serve. And different states have different rules about cross-border cross um uh, commerce or pro- cross-border uh, uh, healthcare, services. like we talked about services we talked about before. So uh, th- this is a problem. You know, you, you look 10 years ago, uh, state agencies do not have the kind of staffing. They barely had staffing to keep up 10 years ago. Now they've got a just massive influx of entities coming to them and physicians coming and saying, I want to get, I want to get uh, a medical license in your state. They're having a tough time keeping up with it. So in many ways, we believe this technology that we're building, this network, is going to make it much easier for the states to do their credentialing as well. It's this, you know, it's just this tangled web that we see today where you see the same thing happening over and over and over again. I mean, just talk to talk to a medical school uh, registrar's office and and ask them how how many times a week they get asked the same question over and over again. And if you've got a physician that's now applying for a telehealth job across 30 different states, here comes 30 phone calls or emails or some kind of request, right? Right. That's, that's untenable. Uh, it's, it, we've got to, we have to fix that problem and, uh, you know, for healthcare to expand. And it's just, I think it's a roadblock we've run into. I'm glad we ran into it, right? Because it gives, it gives us reason to develop this technology. But it's something that's got to be fixed, whether it's telehealth or locum tenum, the process today 
It's just way too s slow and cumbersome. It can be a lot more secure. It can be a lot more accurate. And, and this technology, we think, will have a big role in that. Right. And I've often heard provider credentialing is going to be one of the first use cases in healthcare with blockchain technology. And, you know, that being said, there's going to be competitors and there are competitors. I've interviewed a few of them, actually. How are you different or how is your organization different from them? You know, uh, I mean, I, I talked about IP. I talked about, our, you know, how we apply it. I, I've talked about how uh, we, ha we have a lot of experience in healthcare. We know this space. You know, we see peer plays come in with tool sets. Uh, tool sets are hard for a CIO's office to put together and build. That's that's tough. I think so. I think our domain expertise and knowledge in this is important. But you've heard me say it probably thirty times: execution. Uh, you know, what's the difference between one NBA player and another one? Execution. Sure. Uh, it's just what it is. I know. I, I know. Everyone always looks for this perfect thing that makes you different. The reality is, is, is y you have to pay very close attention to the market, uh, and 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 you have to pay attention to your people because this is a demanding space. You got to take care of your team, and um, and and you know preserve capital in a way and, and raise capital in a way that is thoughtful because this is a long game. I don't think people realize that this is not something where boom you're a billion dollar company overnight. This takes time and in every industry, it takes some time for those players that put forth the energy and, and the, make the investment that's necessary. Uh, they have a very bright future in front of them as, as far as we're concerned. And, you know, we want, we want to be one of those major players. We want to be the player. So, uh, but again, it's, it's, it's no pain, no gain. Yeah, I, I agree. This not just for provider credentialing, but really all kind of applications now for blockchain, it's it's going to take time. So multi multiple years at yeah. least. Um, but I know I'm glad that people are working on it like you, Charlie. So thank you for doing it. I think it's really important. What's your outlook for 2020 and beyond? You mentioned a little bit already, but. Well, I think, you know, just in general across the, the, the industry. The industry, right. Yeah. I think it's going to be a year of proving stuff. Right. We've talked about things for a while. We've begun to do, you know, there have been some science projects in 2019 that have showed, you know, some have showed not a lot of promise. Other ones have. Um, I think 2020 is going to be that at scale uh, and you'll start seeing commercial deployments. I think we're going to need to see commercial deployments in 2020 to, to really verify that this is is real. Uh, and so. You know, I, th I think that that that's going to be it. It's the proof is in the pudding, and and the focus will be on that. And I think you'll see some some uh, some of these folks fall by the wayside that realize, wow, this is a lot harder than it than it seemed, and and healthcare is a lot tougher market and slower market adoption than I thought. And you'll have others that say, yeah, we figured that was going to happen, and this is what we did to to support it. Were there any events or announcements in the? healthcare blockchain space that was very unexpected or surprising to you and why yeah i saw that question before I, yeah you know on your on your note i not a ton really i mean i think uh i think you know the general sentiment in the market of you know a bit of disillusionment over where this technology will go how it will be used uh you know i i, I continue to see folks that are ready to write the eulogy 
for blockchain the same way they were writing the eulogy for other technologies and that you know that didn't come true um i i think uh, again i think it, it boils down to whether you're a pro or a con blockchainer mm-hmm. uh you got to look at the facts and and again i think this is a technology that can have a profound impact in certain areas but again only when combined in, the, in with other ingredients to make it happen um, that you know by itself and i'm a firm believer uh, you, you, you just don't offer a blockchain toolkit to a to an it team and say solve your problems with this it's, it's got to be uh, a thoughtful approach and do you have any favorite blockchain projects that are currently in the marketplace i think sovereign is probably one of my most favorite right obviously What's happened, you know, where we're seeing Ethereum and Enterprise Ethereum going is really interesting. Uh, I continue to look for, uh, you know, some implementations of smart contracts that really make sense in the space, although that's still a tough one. Uh, it's going to be interesting, uh, you know, where, where blockchain and IoT go. Uh, obviously, the Sawtooth and other technologies, but, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, of, of, Autonomous cars being able to negotiate with each other in terms of who gets to pass who, when, and how is going to be interesting. But again, uh, let's get beyond the science fair project, right? Let's 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 start showing some of that stuff happen in some area where uh, we can sink our teeth into. Otherwise, it just becomes it just kind of adds on to that wheelbarrow of hype that we already is already too big. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, I wonder. I wonder about that. You know, you mentioned autonomous driving and vehicles. I wonder if like Tesla or Google or even Apple are working on that sort of technology for transportation. Very interesting problem. And as the number of devices that are connected grows, you're going to have an increased need to secure those devices. And I do think blockchain or DLT, distributed ledger technology, will be involved there. So, yeah, that's a good point. Do you have a famous role model that inspires you it could be like a scientist or a business leader inventor yeah it's funny people always ask me this and uh well, i just gave a talk earlier this week and uh, i tell you that it's 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 astronauts uh and uh neil armstrong or jim lovell or whatever it might be and the reason why is as an entrepreneur people say wow it must be fun it must be exciting all that risk you take we we don't take that much risk. We manage risk, right? And and that's what astronauts do. Uh, they understand that the fuel they're putting into the rocket is combustible and it's going into a very harsh environment. And you're going to bring a team with you up there and their team is your responsibility. Uh, and uh, you need to figure out how much fuel you need to not only get into orbit, but also get home again. Uh, you need to know your math. You need to pay attention to your instruments. And, you know, these are the things that in most cases differentiate uh, a successful startup from a not successful one. Uh, it is, it's being a master of risk. And, you know, I think that's certainly the case in, in this endeavor with actual, we, you know, this, we, this, we're not revolutionary, but we're evolutionary enough to the degree that we need to really spend time on both the long game as well as 
helping the industry understand the value of implementing these things. We've got to get it right. There's a lot of moving parts, right? And, you know, for me, my heroes have always been the ones that maybe were a little nerdy, but just ensured accountability. And, and that's what we need. And so that's more or less who I've always aspired to at least think, think like, and it helps you in those stressful times, right? Just, just check the slide rule, if you will. And, Hmm. If the trajectory for the business still makes sense. If it does, you know, burn Yeah, out. and there's, there's, um, I've talked to a few folks who are actually using blockchain technology to secure satellites in space. So there's, you know, there projects you like that going on. So we're getting, taking blockchain to outer space. So exciting times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. So you're a really busy guy. What do you enjoy doing on your free time? Wow. So, uh, you know, I do a little bit of fly fishing. I just started doing that. Uh, it is it is a sport that literally none of my friends ever thought I would get involved with because I'm so hyper. Uh, but you stand there in a creek, and uh, at least for people like me, you're generally unsuccessful in getting a fish to bite. But it is a it is an experience. So there's a lot of technicality in terms of of where to find fish and, and the environments that they, uh, they pop up in. And it's, it's a fun, it's a fun process. I enjoy it. And, you know, the other types of sports, I love are the really fast sports like auto racing and skiing and stuff like that. But I think as I get older, I'm going to stick with the fly fishing, do less of the, the latter. Do you have any final takeaways? You know, I really enjoyed this conversation, Charlie. There's been a lot that we talked about and a lot that's going to be happening in the next year or so uh, with actual, so do you have any final thoughts for the audience before I wrap yeah, up? I, yeah, I, I think, you know, in wrap up, I think blockchain provides some incredible opportunities to advance a lot of things in business, some things that are well overdue. And I think one of the areas where blockchain will have the biggest short-term advantage and benefit will be in enabling human capital. Uh, in enabling people to take on roles and verify the authenticity of their experience so that they can take on those roles much faster than anything has in the past. And it's much needed because there's a lot of costs associated in the space. Uh, I think uh, probably my biggest takeaway with this is that with any technology, if this is something you love and you're interested in it, in it be thoughtful of the people on the other end. Don't talk about how it's going to be revolutionary. It's going to completely change everything they do. Talk about how it's going to make it better because that's really where the focus is. And that's where we've seen the, the, the large part of the advancements over the past couple of decades. It's been making things better, not necessarily changing everything from how it's done today. And I think that needs to be more the message for blockchain than anything. Awesome. Charlie, thanks again. Appreciate it. Hey, thank, thank you, Ray. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.